Hello and welcome to Potris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Maas. This was published in 2016 and is the second book in the A Court of Thorns and Roses, aka Akotar series. So we are reading these books because I feel like it's it's a rite of passion. <laughs> it is a rite of passage. And Lane has read them and she was like, okay, you, you suffered through the first one. Now you can read the second one. I think you'll like it better. I did like it better, but I still have some issues. So this is my favorite of the three books in the series. I think it's the most unique. So the first one, as you guys may recall, was pretty much a cut and dry Beauty and the Beast retelling with a random three trials to save your love at the end. It was like Beauty and the Beast retelling and then the Trials of Hercules. Yeah. Except. Except not. Talon Egg and Feyre's Hercules. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And instead of being born a god, she's made a god. Oh. Correct. FYI, we're spoiling the first book. We'll do our best not to spoil this one. But like also FYI, Lane has read the whole series. Yes. I have only read the first and second books so far. So Meg will tell me if I'm giving away something from a subsequent book because I as we established in the first review, cannot keep these series the series straight. I don't know where one book ends. All right, so the book jacket. Feyre has undergone more trials than one human woman can carry in her heart. Though she's now been granted the powers and lifespan of the High Fae, she is haunted by her time under the mountain and the terrible deeds she performed to save the lives of Tamlin and his people. As her marriage to Tamlin approaches, Feyre's hollowness and nightmares consume her. She finds herself split into two different people, one who upholds her bargain with Rhysand, High Lord of the Feared Night Court, and one who lives out her life in the Spring Court with Tamlin. While Feyre navigates a dark web of politics, passion, and dazzling power, a greater evil looms. She might just be the key to stopping it, but only if she can harness her harrowing gifts heal her fractured soul, and decide how she wishes to shape her future and the future of a world in turmoil. Okay, can I tell you my mean first reaction to this jacket? Of course. This gives Pharaoh way too much agency. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 100%. I, and I wish they would just come straight out and say it in a her Hades and Persephone retelling. Right. Like, to say it, I would be happy about that. But F FYI, guys, read between the lines. This is a Hades and Persephone retelling. Kinda. Sort of. Kinda, sort of. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, <laughs> I don't know. The, the problem is talking about this without spoiling it. Yeah. Because the thing that is the most unique about this book and this series by extension is, like, a huge effing plot twist. Mm -hmm. So there may very well be conversation post-spoiler -ta tags in this episode. But as usual, we generated a random number. This week it was 42 and wrote our own summaries. And we did our best to write them spoiler-free. You guys can tell us if we succeeded or not. Yeah. I'll, I'll, well, I will start us out with mine. Feyre is a fairy now and engaged to her true love, the one she murdered several people for. They screw night and day instead of dealing with her trauma. Then she gets kidnapped from her wedding by a terrible, horrible, evil hottie. Yeah. So, um, Feyre was ridiculously attracted to Reese in the first book. Yeah, she was. Even though she hated him? Even though she hated him and was in love with someone else and was screwing the other dude. Like, she and the other... Okay, first book, spoiler for the first book. She's, like, under the mountain. She's being held captive. He's being held captive. They're being watched night and day. And there's one moment where they get to steal away and be with each other. And what do they do? They, like, go to fuck up against a wall. 
we get interrupted. But I'm just saying, like, this is how much she and, and Tamlin are into each other. And she's still attracted to Reese. Yes. So my 42-word summary. Feyre murdered a bunch of people to save all the fairies, a.k.a. Tamlin. But she has to hang out with Reese because bargain? The Emperor of All Darkness or whatever is actually a cinnamon roll who saves her from her abusive ex. I think, I think we have very complimentary summaries. Yeah. I, and I, I think... Well, I, I think this book had a lot of potential. And I was very interested in reading the book and, and its twists. Because there are a lot of twists in this book. Yeah. What are the tropes in this book? I'm going to be honest, guys. I don't know what tropes are. Besides Hades and Persephone, I don't know. What, okay. What's in there, Lynn? I got so many. So we talked a lot, especially in any series that verges on magical, how you can't just be in love. You have to be, like, super fucking mated soulmates and shit. Yeah. And this is that to a T. And one of the things that will come to annoy me the most in this series is that when people are mated, but also high fae, because I guess man, woman, husband, wife, whatever, has too much of a human connotation. Right, yeah. They have to call each other my mate or my male and my female. Yeah. And I can't, I can't stand it. Okay. I can't so stand it. That is, this was a stylistic choice that Sarah J. Moss obviously made in this book because yes. she has decided that she really wants to differentiate the fae from humans. Yes. And so men and women refer only to humans, which means that all of the fae, and FYI, guys, there are no humans in this book except for, like, two. Feyre lives in fairyland with fairies. She's a fairy. They're all fairies. And so that means we can't use the word woman or man. It's male or female all the time. And I will just tell you, I am recognizing right now that there's a stylistic choice, and it is a legitimate stylistic choice. And it's, it's a stylistic style. choice made by a lot of fantasy authors. It is a trope. I fucking hate it because I hate, I hate female. I hate when people refer to women as females. Basically, that's what I hate the most. And so every time they talked about male or female, I was just like, we kind of wanted to throw up a little bit. Yeah, super fair. Thanks, Lane. I feel so seen and appreciated. This is an extension of the um, Hades and Persephone stuff, but there are other times that this happens in the book that um, Feyre in particular is kidnapped. Yeah. It's true. You're right. There is a big crazy family, but here it's a big crazy found family. Yeah. Yeah. So does Reese's like secret... Like, he doesn't have a secret identity, but he very much has dual identities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he has his, his, it's not a secret identity or a false identity, but he, he has the persona, the persona, like the outer, the facade, the outer shell and the inner person, but like taken to extremes. Yes. And I think that's, the closest thing we come to a traditional romance novel trope? Yeah. Um, we also have the everyone knows what the romantic situation is between her and a guy except for her. Mm -hmm. And not in this case just because of the way they act around each other. Nope. But because of additional information. Because of fantasy information. Let's, let's just say that if this were a shifter novel, they would smell it in their hormones. Yes. This is not um, a shifter novel. Feyre is an absolute Mary Sue that you are meant to project onto, but also a person with limited limitless power to the point that no one with her capabilities has ever existed before. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. She's such an amazing, cool person with these awesome powers that don't have end. No, they don't. 
Like, and, and I do think Sarah J. Moss knows it. So, like, this is the most minor of all spoilers for subsequent series. It gets to the point later in these books that, like, Feyre has to be incapacitated like Superman with kryptonite for the plot to make any sense. Right. Because she's so all-powerful. Right. That if she was present and functioning, like, the plots would have no stakes. Yeah, it's, I mean, this book is the book where, so the where they've identified the person with these amazing powers, and now they've got to train it. So this this book combines a lot of things. I just thought of the trope. This book is the training montage trope, yes. but like stretched out for the whole book. Yes. Um. Also, very important. I can't believe we almost forgot this. Uh. Fuck Kevin. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh my gosh I have so many weird nitpicky issues with this book that I'm gonna say and if you like this book you're gonna be like I cannot believe she is picking these tiny little nits but th- they were really bug me um I think it's not that much of a spoiler to say this is a love triangle book no and both of the guys in the love triangle are sad tragic orphans who spoiler alert families murdered each other Mm -hmm. so it's just very monty hughes and capulets except not with the woman's family but with the two potential romantic leads families between one another yep all right i before i get into my issues with the book i i really i feel like people are gonna be like well she just doesn't like fantasy so she that's why she doesn't like these books I love fantasy. It's one of my favorite genres. I am having an issue. I am having issues with certain fantasy books and the way they're written today, because it's very hard for me to identify when I'm going to like a fantasy book and when I'm not going to like a fantasy book, because my my favorite fantasies are one, they're epic fantasy. Um, with a lot of really good world building. I don't care whether that means magic, whether that means shifters, you know, I, whether that means like, like let's look at Beck McMaster steampunk um, books. Like I, I feel like the world building in those books is really well thought out and really interesting. And a lot of young adult fantasy that I encounter doesn't seem to focus on that portion of the fantasy world and I think that's what's really hard for me I think it's a different type of focus Mm -hmm. I I completely agree with you that the level of detail in the world building is not here but I would argue that this world building is more expansive and what I mean by that is like Beck McMaster's novels in particular focus on steampunk London Mm -hmm. so she has you know, the slums and she has the rich part and she has like, there's a, a huge depth to steampunk London where I think this book is uh, more has the world building in terms of there are seven different courts. So the first book you're in Tamlin's court, you only know spring, you only know the human realms and all you see of the fairyland is Tamlin's court. And then under the mountain where everyone's being tortured. Whereas this book starts to open it up. And you, mm-hmm. like, the concept of day, night, dawn, thank you, almost forgot that, um, and then spring, summer, winter, fall, autumn, like, where, to a degree, they're governed by the seasons normally, but they obviously, or the day normally, but obviously experience certain things more extremely. Like, I thought all of that was really interesting, and the different traits assigned to people from those individual spaces None of it really gets developed. And I think this goes back to some of our earlier conversations about like, in some ways, the books people like the most are the ones where their brains have to fill in the gaps. I am not arguing this book doesn't have a whole lot of gaps, but I actually liked the world building here in that it was super complicated and huge and so big. I thought it was sort of impossible to ask an author to fill in all the gaps. And my, like, the visuals of winter court, of summer court, like, my brain loved that. Yes, but I got hung up. Okay, guys, the first scene in this book is Feyre wakes up from a nightmare, 
runs into her bathroom and pukes in the toilet. And that just that pissed me off because I'm like, how is there a toilet? How is there plumbing? This needs to be explained for me for me to enjoy spring cord. Um, so she flushes as, the toilet. As we discussed in the first book and several other books we've re- read and reviewed, anything that involves a bathroom, I black out. <laughs> or bodily functions, I fully black out. So like, Consider. no, I wasn't asking those questions because I was pretending that hadn't happened. Consider the sex cabin. Sex cabin is in the most isolated spot ever like literally it's people don't even know where it is and you have to you have to winnow there so you have to like teleport there and it's completely isolated on the top of this mountain right yeah it has full plumbing they have an amazing bathtub it is a fully magic house that makes anything you think of appear you open a cabinet and want food and food's just there and you're wondering where the water goes they act, she actually explained the food a little bit. I'm I am really hung up on plumbing, apparently. I just assume everywhere in Fairyland is like the room of requirement in Harry Potter. I it's I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I like I'm not kidding, guys. It, this is really stupid, but I literally looked at like when the flush toilet was invented. There is no year in these books. I mean, I realized that, but I had so many issues with it. I need a coherent world building. I can't just be happy with, like, some visuals. And then they're like, yeah, this stuff appears because people like it. I'm like, no, I need to know, like, what was the history? How did people know how to imagine a bathtub with not only a bathtub, bubble bath? Okay, so... I told you people are going to be pissed because I'm like, (laughs) this isn't like a high fantasy novel that takes place in like alternate earth. Like this is clearly not our world as we know it. I get it. Also, like every being cleans itself. Like you're asking how people came up with the idea of cleanliness. No, I'm not talking about cleanliness. I'm talking about the bath with the spigot. Like, she, here, and so I think my biggest issue is the first book, she lives in this tiny little hut, and it's in, like, extreme poverty. She doesn't, yes. she only washes, like, once a month or something, right. and she doesn't want to heat up the water. She talks about the basin, all this stuff. So, like, this is, you know, there. And then if we're imagining, I don't know, I, I just, I just had, I need more reference points to enjoy myself and really immerse myself in the world building because otherwise I'm going what the heck what how are they doing this I don't have that problem I know I I, and obviously a lot of people don't have that issue because people love this book but I'm not kidding every time because she she pukes a lot we need to not talk about that because once again in the toilet I black out and every time she had to run into the bathroom to, to, you know, cast up her accounts, I, I wasn't annoyed by the puking. I was annoyed by the fact that she did it in a toilet that she flushed. Okay. This is I, the I'm difference not, between us. I'm not going to have a rebuttal to this one. <laughs> okay. I do see a lot of potential in this book, actually. I, I was very interested in the beginning. So Farah is a is a character who's gone through a lot of trauma in her life. Like she's only 17 years old. Yes. Or maybe, maybe 19. Right. She's, she's not 20 yet. I feel like we're in Jane Austen. I'm not yet 20. She's no longer human and doesn't age normally. So pick whatever you want. No, but she, she has only lived like 19 years in this world, regardless of how much longer she's going to live into the future. She's really only lived, you know, She's lived less than, tw- less than two decades. And she has already gone through the trauma of, you know, being the, the basically the breadwinner for her family. Um, she has seen the man that she loves be put almost to death. She's had to go through these trials. She's had to work with Reese, who's like the total like mind fuck asshole. Literally. Like, 
literally. And, um, and now she, like, she really, she needs a lot of therapy, but she's not getting it. Uh, Tamlin is just ignoring the fact that she has this trauma that's lingering from the, from what happened to her uh, under the mountain. And that was very, I thought it was a really interesting take on the fairy tale hero and the fantasy hero. I thought it was great. Um, well, and you would even see a critique being in there on the He-Man masculinity that you often see in these fairy tale heroes. Mm-hmm. That, okay, so what happens when it's turned on the head and the hero gets rescued? Yeah. And yeah. the answer is like sort of an unflattering portrait. Well, what I think could have been so interesting would be to have gone into that. Yeah. Uh, but I felt like it wasn't, I, I, there was a missed opportunity. Um, so I will say I started reading it. Once I got past the bathrooms <laughs> and the indoor, the indoor plumbing, I was like, fine, I'll just try to accept this. <laughs> I was like, okay, as, as um, one um, has to in fantasy. There are certain things you just have to accept. At which I, look, I tried as hard as I could. And anyway, I, I thought the themes were very interesting. So this theme of trauma, this theme of um, have, having rescued the hero, what is masculinity? What is femininity? Because that's really looked at as well. Yeah. Um, so those are things that, that I thought. What does immortality do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I will say I thought the romance was not too bad. I like the romance in this book a lot. I like, oh, I liked it so much better than the first book. And we cannot go into this without getting crazy spoilery. We'll, we'll get there. But so post tag, we will have a longer discussion on this, but... It, they worked for me as a couple yeah, a lot, and I was surprised. I remember reading this after the first one. Yeah. Uh, okay, I do have another criticism, and I thought the romance was great. Uh, I, thought the, I thought the romance was good. Uh, I thought the themes were really interesting. I thought the plot was really bad. So it's interesting. The first book is crazy tiny, right? For all of your criticisms of it, girl transported into magical realm, lives there in captivity, falls in love with captor, is released, decides to rescue him. True love prevails. Yeah. And with some, yeah. but like very compact, both in terms of the setting and the plot. And if it had been written compactly, I would have been into it. This is the second book now, Meg. You can let go. Okay, I'm trying. This book, the world gets huge. Huge. Not only are the different courts of fairyland introduced, there's a whole other continent with a population of fairies. There's people who the human world thought long dead, who live on a secret island. The human world gets expanded. We learn about queens we didn't know in the first book. I actually... We'll talk about this more when we read the third book and then talk about the series as a whole. I thought the decisions of what to introduce when didn't really make sense. Like, now seeing everything they did to build, to just shove world building into this book, I sort of wish it had been more organically introduced in the first. I mean, yes. I don't because disagree. Because I think that could have really laid the groundwork for this being a slightly tighter book. Mm-hmm. And... There wasn't much going on in the first book, so it could have handled a little bit more exposition. Yeah. So, so this book is, to put it in a fantasy plot, the plot of this book is person who has found these amazing powers now has to get trained on them, right? So we know this person has a lot of potential, and this person has to get trained on it, because there's a war going on in the background and we need this person to help win the war. Right. To use a video game terminology, turned out the big bad of the first book was not the final boss. 
Oh, totally. I mean, this this book, the plot of this book really could have been the plot of any fantasy video game. Yeah. You know, like you, you're in the beginning, you know you're going to learn this stuff, but you got to go do these little quests and like level up. And then at the end, you're ready to fight the big battle. Well, I'm thinking back to like old school PS games where like there were four discs mm-hmm. and how at the end of the first disc, there's this big boss fight and it's like, it feels like the game is ending, but then something shifts and you realize there's four more discs to go. Yeah, yeah you're like, oh no. That is what the final battle with Amarantha was in the first book. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, and uh, there were just so many, if they, if the plot had focused on that, I think I would have been more into it. But unfortunately there just wasn't a lot of, I use this terminology a lot in the podcast. I feel there was not a lot of narrative urgency so they'd be like, you really have to learn how to do this thing. And she'd be like, okay. And then they'd finish some kind of training session where she didn't learn very much. And then they were like, oh, let's go to the nightclub. Like, I'm not kidding, guys. They went to the nightclub so many times in this book. Also, the nightclub. So good. <laughs> I know. But yeah, uh, there, there was like, how was there a nightclub? But anyway. I'm and putting that all I, I think there would have been a way to, first of all, I think they could have cut some of the nightclub visits, but I think there could have been a way to emphasize diplomacy mm. in the early parts of war, war and conflicts, which this book did attempt to do at various points. Attempted, yeah. There were attempts. And I think, that. obviously, diplomacy takes time, and if, if that had been made a little bit more explicit, I think the partying around Valeris wouldn't have bothered you as much. I can't, I really can't say whether it would have bothered me or not, because all I can read is the book that was here. Right. (laughs) And I have never read a fantasy where they were like, let's go clubbing. Right. I've never read one. Well, I never read an epic fantasy where they did In terms of Feyre's training, I give that a little bit of a pass, just in the sense that, like, there's no one who does what she does. So it's not like there's somebody out there who knows what the right answer is. And she's really damn depressed. And, you know, so she's kind of on her own in figuring this out, even though she has a support system and she personally doesn't have a whole lot of motivation, even though there is this massive external source that the, the nightclubbing, I definitely went, really? Feyre's training being sort of haphazard and not very consistent bothered me less because I thought that was in character. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> so I, I have read a lot of fantasy guys, I swear. I'm thinking of the um, Arrows of the Queen trilogy by Mercedes Lackey, which was my young adult fantasy when I was in high school and I would read it. And the first book, you know, was introduction, young girl is chosen from all the young girls, blah, blah, blah. But then she gets, she literally gets taken to a school. So wizard school, you know, that's the next trope. I know a lot of fantasy tropes. Wizard school. Second book is she goes out on like her apprenticeship and it turns out that she was, her training was all fucked up. And so the second book, like half of the second book is she snowed in with her mentor and they are sitting there learning and getting trained. Mm -hmm. And so I guess for me, that's my expectation. If I'm reading a training book, I'm expecting at least a little bit of let's sit down. Let's talk about training. Let's talk about what you should try to do. And even if I don't know exactly what your powers are, I'm going to, there's a base training for all magic. So let's do it. But like, literally they just stand there and the way they train her is they attack her and they want her to defend herself. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't know if that's the best way to train someone who's like depressed and suffering from PTSD. Not saying it's the best, just saying narratively, I didn't find it as inconsistently as inconsistent as you did. I'm not. I'm not saying it was inconsistent. I'm saying that I was not interested in her training. Okay, Does that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. It, there wasn't a whole lot of it, so <laughs> it didn't bother me. <laughs> I mean, I guess the, I guess my issue was they're like, yeah, we really have to train you up and make sure you're ready to fight this battle. And then there would be like two or three training scenes and every single one of them was the same. Yeah. 
that's fair. So, okay. Um, we have to talk about the rest of our notes after the spoiler tag. Offensiveness, trigger warnings, content warnings. Uh, so we've been discussing it. PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. Everything about Morgan's backstory. Everything mm. about her backstory. Yeah. So. Uh, parental abuse, social abuse. Incredible abuse. Like, extreme violence. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I very rarely, like, gasp out loud at depictions of violence in literature. Some of the stuff that happened to her, like, made me queasy. Mm-hmm. So, tough to read if that's hard for you to read. Maybe, like, if violence against women is a particular trigger point for you, I might avoid this book. Yeah. Is this book sexy, Lane? I like the romantic pairing so much. And I thought the organic development of their relationship and, like, the slow burn really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I found them really sexy. I found enough of the making out really sexy. Like, there's a scene where they're pretending to be all over each other for the court before they're actually together. And, like, that said, as we've discussed, the emphasis during the actual sex on mate, male, and female... Also, like, it's a lot of trauma sex and, like, sex is healing. Yeah. So, weirdly, like, I think the couple is sexy. I would call the romantic pairing in this book sexy. I probably wouldn't call the sex itself sexy. Yeah, I mean, some of the sex was sexy. Right, like, I like tubs. (laughs) Yeah, right. Sex, Sex cabins are awesome. Everything from here on out, spoiler, failed, you guys. So if you do not want to know pretty much the whole plot of this book, continue at your peril. Yeah. Okay, so if you have gotten this far, then you probably have read the book and you know that Reese is her mate. Her mate. Camelin is the abusive ex. Camelin's the abusive ex. I think I was a little frustrated that she had to make Tamsin a villain. Tamlin. I say it every time. You do. I think I was really upset that she made Tamlin a villain. Not upset. I wasn't upset. I was let down. I think it would have been a lot more interesting to have him just be... I think it would have been a lot more interesting for him just not to understand or to be the person that she needs. Yeah. And I think it would have, not only would it have been interesting, I think it would have been like more poignant or more heart-wrenching. And honestly, I think if you wanted him to turn to villainy and be the person who allowed the king of hybridine, hybridian, whatever, it back like into their world. I would have wanted it to be more fleshed out. I would have wanted it to be more like his broken psyche. I can't do under the mountain again. Right. You know what I mean? Like make the choice for reasons other than just, you don't want to have sex with me no more. No, exactly. Like if he was going to be a villain, it needed to be a more complex thing. Yeah. Or he should have just been the wrong guy for her. Yeah. Or he was the right guy for her at that time, but they have both changed now. Yeah, but their relationship was always really shallow. Oh, uh, yes, I know. But she killed people for him? I don't know. That was my, you know that I had issues with that in the first book. Yeah, but I do think the fact that they're not trying to hold up Tamlin and Feyre as a good relationship, like, paints the first book in a better light to me. Yeah, but I mean... I don't think there's any problem with saying, yes, we had a, we had a good relationship or we had a fulfilling relationship then, but we are, we have changed. You know, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that conceptually. I don't think the Tamlin Pharaoh relationship of the first book was good or fulfilling. Oh, I mean, definitely not. 
So I, I think I agree with that. Representing having this book's point be Tamlin was a good guy. They just broke up. I don't necessarily know works with the story that's already been built. Yeah, I don't know if he had to be a good guy, but I think he could at least have been the same person she thought that she loved. Fair. Or if it if he was gonna go evil, I needed more justification. Yes. Yeah, I needed more of that. So I don't know. He comes off as roll dumb. Yes, he does. I mean, to be fair, he did in the first book too, in my opinion. Yes, definitely. So, um, recent, recent and Farah are mates. Yeah. His wings are like penis, a penis sensitivity wise. His wings are a penis. <laughs> <laughs> How else can I say this? His wings are in erogenous zone equivalent to the penis area. <laughs> I just need, I need to ignore, I need to just take penis out of it. It's you really do. Also, penis area is... Well, I said penis, and I thought, well, pro- probably women. Anyway, who knows? That I would call wings an erogenous zone. Erogenous and zone. That is... Okay, and they also are like, wings are the most sensitive part of an Illyrian, whatever, male's body. So all you have to do to really torture them is to, to hurt their wings. Yeah. But I was just thinking about this and like their society is really fucked up if they clip their women's wings. Is this right. is this an equivalent of female genital mutilation? Probably, but I don't know if that was intentional. I don't think it was intentional, but now I, I okay. This is a book that I think ha- could have some very good fan fiction. Just saying. I one day we'll have to explore that potential. I don't think I have enough time in my life, but anyway, uh, so I also want to talk about because you said that you liked recent and Vera's relationship. Yeah. So did you think that they were, like, well-suited? Did you, like, what particularly stood out to you about it being, like, do you mean well-developed? Do you, like... Yeah. So what I liked, what I liked about it was, and I do think this was in contrast with Tamlin, and I think could have been kept even if you didn't make Tamlin a supervillain, or not even a supervillain, a henchman, really. He wasn't really a villain. You could have kept to show that she was, that Reese was better suited for Feyre than Tamlin because mm-hmm. he is accepting the fact that she is depressed. He understands that she went through a traumatic experience and she's got to deal with it. Yeah. He's helping her develop her skills instead of telling her that she needs to hide herself away. If you look at it, this is a very feminist relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like, look, I need you should be an empowered female. Gag me. I know. But but what he's saying is I'm attracted to you as you are and not as I want you to be. Right. That is what I liked about their relationship. Well, and he cares about her beyond sex. Yeah. I mean, he he so he knows that they're mates. But he knows that she doesn't know. And he, I, she gets all pissed off because he didn't tell her that they were mates. But honestly, I thought it was a really great choice on his part not to try to coerce her into a relationship with him because they're just fated to be together. I thought it was nice that he was like, she needs to like actually like me as a person before she can decide that she wants to be with me, whether or not we're fated or not. Yeah. I definitely think whenever there's a true love soulmate storyline, what it often comes off as like groomy. Mm-hmm. I know it's not like necessarily child grooming, but like the idea that this is inevitable. Right doesn't really work for me 
So on that to that degree, I'm glad he didn't tell her. But I do think once they started to trust each other and once she was in his court, the fact that making it public that they were mates could have avoided, I don't know, war. Like, he did wait a little too long to tell her. I mean, yes. Yes, but I I agree with his original decision, which was if she's, she's happy with somebody Taylor, else, yeah, right. Yeah, it's then. not my place to say I'm better for her because of this fairy magic that she doesn't care about. Yes, exactly. So the <sighs> ending of this book is real cliffhangery. Okay, so it's real cliffhangery. But part of the book that made me laugh the most is that to get leverage over Feyre, they kidnap her sisters. Human sisters. Her human sisters, because Feyre is not born a fairy. Right. So they kidnap her sisters, and then for some reason they need to prove that, oh, yes, because they need to prove to the human queens that they can make the queens fairies without getting hurt. Something like that. And so they're like, let's use Feyre's sisters as test subjects. It's so my favorite part was, like, only exceptional people will survive this transition. And her sisters are the most wet noodles. Yeah. They are the, they are so, they're not even multi-grain. <laughs> they're white bread. Uh, they're, they're milk toast. Except one of them's angry. Yeah, one, one, of them's ang- okay, one of them's angry and one of them's sweet and compassionate. Well, like, I don't really get why they would survive something this horrible. So they throw him in the cauldron, and Feyre's all freaked out, like, no, no, my sisters! And then they come out perfectly fine, and now they're fairies. And I was like, oh no, what horrible torture. Your sisters are now immortal, and probably have magic powers. But she, like, swears revenge. And I, to me, I was just like, wait a minute, this is the weakest. <laughs> like conflict ever I couldn't I was like I don't get it <laughs> yeah and I get her not wanting to have made this choice for her sisters that like yeah. after she became a fairy they didn't ask to come live with her they chose to remain mortal and in the mortal realm even if they had known like they didn't know becoming a fairy was an option but they chose not to really embrace or acknowledge her new life right she didn't make the decision for them. Mm-hmm. That said, I can understand why watching family members having choice taken away from them is hard. Yeah. But ultimately, I did think it was... And, like, her sisters are now in danger. Her sisters are now known associates of hers. And I get why that sucks. But that doesn't seem to be her concern. Nope. If, if her big worry was, like, oh, God, no, my sisters are here. Like, they will never be safe. Right. I could have totally understood that. Yeah. Also, she and Reese got secret married and made a second magic bond. That's right. And now Feyre is a spy in Tamlin's court because this book ends with her faking being in love with Tamlin again. Yep. I'm wondering, okay, so I have not read the next book. You don't have to, you don't have to keep anything, hold anything back from me. So I'm fine. I'm just wondering, is she going to sleep with him? Because they were getting it on all the time. Like up until the day Reese kidnapped her from her wedding, they were like fucking all night long. Like they'd stopped talking. Yeah. They'd stop seeing each other during the day, uh-huh. but he'd still show up at night. There's a scene early on in this book of him going down on her. Yep. That's pretty graphic. Yep. Which you don't really expect from a book where he's going to end up the bad guy. Yep. I was like, dang. But honestly, I feel like a lot of sex, sexiness, romanticism, sexual encounters were deployed really effectively in this book to build plot and tension. Yeah. More than the plot was. Oh, oh, yes, absolutely. That's why I said I think the romance plot worked and the wider fantasy plot did not. But I, I'm even including the disintegration of her relationship with Tamlin in the yeah. romance. No, I agree. I, I, I agree with really you. Really 
that relationship falling apart was tough to read. Yeah. In a good way. In a good way. Until, um, trigger warning, the abuse. Yes. Oh, okay. I do have one. Actually, this probably should go under trigger warning. I do think there was a little bit of implicit racism in the book. I don't think it's implicit. I think it's pretty explicit. Okay. So of the queens, so the queens, there are these human queens. How many are there? Seven, nine, seven. It's an odd number. And they're all different races. They're all beautiful. No, they're not all beautiful, but they're all like, some of them are dark skinned. Some of them are light skinned. Some of them are blonde. Some of you know, whatever. They're a very diverse group. The good queen, the one good queen is beautiful, white and blonde. And in other words, all the bad queens are the other races. And I was just like, oh, God. I definitely think that was implicit. That said, it's not implied that there's only one white queen. It's true. So some of the bad queens are white, I'm, are, are, I'm sure. Right. So I was more thinking about the fact that there's a hierarchical structure in Fae society based on what type of fairy you are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the descriptions of the non-human ones talk about how dark they are. And it's questioned in the book. Like, there are main characters who are sympathetic to the oppression of the lesser fairies, as they're called. Mm -hmm. But none to the point that they're actually willing to make sacrifices themselves. And I don't think that's portrayed negatively. No, it's, it's, it's really not. There's, so Reese is this super sympathetic character because he is keeping his peaceful kingdom safe. And he has these democratic ideals. But, I mean, literally his cover is, I am a bad dude. Um, and he keeps all of the other courts away from him so he can have this one little idealized utopia city. But he, So he's not out there like, fighting for the rights of fairies he's out there literally pretending like he's a white supremacist to keep this one tiny little space safe and And even in his dealings with the illyrians in his own territory like this sort of implicitly like tribal warrior race didn't i think some cultural sensitivity research could have been done prior to writing all could have helped I would have been very interested if Feyre had not turned into a fairy uh-huh. because Reese apparently has been mated with her for, well, for 17 years and since she was born. I was creeped out by that. I was like, what have you seen? Oh, it's a little creepy, yeah. But I, I am very interested in reading a book really examines the idea of these immortal fairies having as their one true mate a human whose life is you know that would be interesting and i speaking of beck mcmaster i think she does at least explore it a little bit in her books not really not really but it's acknowledged as a thing yeah but Turning someone into a vampire is an option. Yes, but... Turning someone into a fairy is revealed to be an option. Like, I've never read a single fantastic fantasy romance where it wasn't... Like, honestly, the closest I've seen is True Blood. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen it. And I'm not saying it was well done there, but there is discussion of vampires falling in love with humans who don't want to change. Yeah. Anyway, I would have been interested to see that. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I always am a little bit freaked out about 300-year-old dudes and, you know, 20-year-old women. Right, because as we say every time we bring up Twilight, pedophilia isn't gross because you look old. It's gross because you are old. And these fairies are old. I mean, I guess you could say it's like a different... 
Well, that's, I'm very interested in, of course, this, I'm never going to learn about this. Like, what is the, what is the, what is the, the span of puberty for these people? Like, I would be interested to know, like, does it follow the normal human thing? Like they, you know, 12, 13, No, 15. so that's actually referenced in the first book. Remember, Tamlin has that servant who lives in his house who's taking care of her nephews who are like 50 and 75, but are children. Oh, well, there you go. So Feyre got transformed into an adult fairy. An adult fairy, yeah. I think if she were 17, she'd be like an infant. Yeah, no, I'm just wondering about how old Reese is, really. Yeah, well, because the fairy, you know, in Tamlin's court, her nephews were born before Araminta came. Right. Because their parents were murdered. So they have to be at least 50 and their children in her care. Yeah. So, like, anyway. they don't answer it specifically in these books, but, like, Feyre is probably physically compared to a hundred-year-old fairy or whatever. See, that, that's what I need. I need to know this information. You know? yeah. <laughs> that, that I felt I was me. given enough context without it being explicitly stated. It, it helps me. I cannot believe how many text messages I sent you about the running water. I know. It was really funny. <laughs> Look... Guys, I like this book, and it's stupid popular right now, so if you want to get on the bandwagon, honestly, this might be the most, like, legitimate love triangle I've ever read. Yeah. Not in the sense that, like, you think she's going to end up with Tamlin, because it's pretty clear that they're falling apart pretty early in this book, but in the sense that, like, the hero of the first book is vilified. Yeah. And becomes a non-option. And he does have a very small, spoiler alert, minor redemption arc coming up. But, you know, there is a point in this book where she hates them both. Yeah. Definitely. Usually I think reading Love Triangles is a waste of time because one character is clearly the (laughs) B-plot. Like, I was interested in the disintegration of her relationship with him. Yeah, yeah, I... I I don't necessarily know if it's a love triangle. Maybe that's the thing too. Is it's not necessarily a love triangle where she's trying to decide between two love interests, but instead it's it's a relationship evolution. Tam would say it's a love triangle. <laughs> Tam would say I don't disagree with you on that one. But yeah, I think this is not Meg's cup of tea. No, I, I don't know, guys. I I have always found, thought of myself as a fantasy fan, and I may have to reconsider. I don't know. So thank you guys so much for listening. We would love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet at Plot Trust.